Howdy gang, thank you for tuning into Back Country and Barbells. I am Joe Shimonic, and today's episode we talk white-tailed deer with Joe Miles. Joe Miles is a, a fellow I know from way back in the day when I was uh, training the Olympic lifts out of Carolina CrossFit in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, Joe, Joe Miles, um, man, tons of hunting experience, um, exotic hunting experience, um, crazy big game stories but um he's switching gears and he's getting away um from so much uh sponsored um produced hunting and he's trying to give people real transparent white tail knowledge uh no biased except his own and from his own experiences so check that out guys i think it's really cool you can find more information on it at joe miles hunting on instagram and at joe miles on the youtube i think it'd be worth your time um uh, I know it was worth mine chatting with him and catching up with an old friend. Um, I'll tell you something else I think will be worth your time. Um, getting into a pair of Ellsworth socks, guys. Um, on this holiday weekend, Father's Day, um, I was wearing these socks all the time. I took them out uh, chasing cutthroat trout um, on the Puget Sound, and I stormed up um, the Lake 22 Loop with the family. And in both instances, um, I did not do my due diligence and keep my feet dry um, in the waders. Um, I busted a hole, and um, no fun. And uh, storming up Lake 22, um, puddle this, puddle that, running after the kids, jumping in the lake, having a great time. But uh, I... I I don't know what Ellsworth can do when folks just submerge their gear in the water, but um, I soaked them. Here's the cool part, though, is after soaking them, um, I I was amazed. I just wanted to see how fast these socks would dry out, and they really did a good job. And also, while wet, um, these socks do what wool does. Uh, You don't get clammy, cold, and and have the energy sucked from your feet. Um, Your feet, uh, they stay warm. They stay cozy and blister-free. So check them out, guys. The most advanced sock in the game. Head on over to Ellsworth Socks. Dot com and when you do guys use code B and B20 and you can save 20% off of your total purchase guys um, no other sock offers uh, the high quality wool the V channel technology and honestly the the great fit um, wearing a good pair of socks is like the first time you do anything at a high level um, you just don't know what you're missing until you try them on. And if you're looking to figure out what you're missing um, and save a little bit of money, again, use code BNB20 at checkout. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, what I really hope you enjoy is today's episode. And if you do, guys, leave a review. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that on the website, backcountrybarbells.com. Um, or you can just maybe reach out to me on Instagram and say, um, hey, man. That was awesome. That'd be cool, too. I'm always looking to interact with the folks who listen to this show, and some of you guys um, have done that, whether it's Travis training in Texas or or Dave um, hunting here in um, Washington. Um, we appreciate who's listening, and um, hey, man, maybe if you let us know what you're thinking, I'll mention your name on this show and be happy to do it. But um, guys... We're doing this to help you train, hunt, and live your best life possible um, by learning from us, learning from the folks we talk to. Um, maybe you can do that. So um, hopefully we are. So until the next one, guys, train, hunt, and live your best life, and um, enjoy what Joe Miles has to say about chasing white tail deer. Thank you very much. All right. Howdy, gang. Backcountry and Barbells, Joe Shamanic, joined by joined by an old friend today. Um, you know, I, I've I've alluded to my time in South Carolina in interesting ways here. 
um, on this podcast, but I'm um, a blast from the past. Um, uh, fellow I used to work with in the gym, Joe Miles. Joe, what's going on, man? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'll, I'll call you Coach Joe because that's what I used to call you. I hope that's okay. Yeah, we can do it. We can do it. Uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people call me Coach Joe still. Uh, the kids I teach and folks I work with uh, doing the training on the side. But it was fun, man. How how is your? Uh, we'll start that off, man. How's uh, we were working on your shoulder a little bit and trying to just keep you active for things. How are you doing physically these days? Man, I'm I'm staying with it. I'm not not really doing the the CrossFit or necessarily the Olympic lifting anymore. But I, I do have a gym here in my office and and trying to stay on the cardio and doing two days a week of some strength training. And okay. yeah, um, I will say it's fun. It's funny you mentioned the shoulder. I I tried to run about 200 arrows through my new bow the other evening. And uh, yeah, it woke. I woke up a little sore. So okay, okay. I, I might need some more. I might need some more coaching on that for sure. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll pass some things along to you. And uh, you know, uh, running two hundred arrows is is an interesting thing. And I know that you've got some really cool stuff getting on with uh, some bow testing you've doing done. And uh, we'll we'll dive right into that. But uh, I want to I want to stick with um what's in your uh what what's in your office gym right there at at enormous reach. I love the fact that you have an office gym because um. You know, since even Columbia is where I started, like kind of the garage gym training situation too. And I'll be honest, looking back on that, I would, I'm so glad I did it. There's so much time saved when you can have like an easily accessible training ground. So, uh, what do you got in that little little office spot? No, it's perfect. It's a, a little rogue cage. You remember Jonathan Coonsy, uh, right? Yep. You, yep. you remember yep. him? He, he could, so he helped me put it together. It's it's a rogue cage. It's got pull up. Uh, dip bar. Um, it's got, you know, a rack for bench, rack for squat. Then I've got some dumbbells, um, bench press. I've got a, my favorite of all time, the double bike, the assault bike. Uh, okay. I've, I've got a rower, uh, one of the rowers in here and, you know, a couple ab mats, jump ropes, just, it's small though. It's, you know, it's just a, a two section cage, but plenty enough to, 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 to humble me almost daily. That's it. We all need that humbling, but uh, it seems like a great setup. You can push, you can pull, you can squat, you can, you can hammer yourself on that bike. Those assault bikes yesterday, I was actually, um, I closed out a little bodyweight session. Uh, I've actually put myself in this bodyweight space. I, you know, training a couple of folks now, um, you know, with COVID has changed so many things and people who can't get into the CrossFit gym or their Globo space or, or their usual training ground, you know, I was like, okay, I'm working with all these folks. So I got to feel it, but I've been hammering the bodyweight stuff and, uh, one burner I did yesterday, you might want to try. Uh, I got on the, I have a little old school Aerodyne, which is just like your assault bike, but um, I was doing 30 second sprints and then I'd jump off the bike and I would do some grip work where I was just kind of juggling, uh, juggling plates. And yep. um, dang it, brother, that, you know, you, you, you crush the quads <laughs> and the lungs and then you stand still and just try to hold a plate with your hands and juggle it. I mean, it'll get you up. It was a, it was a nice five minute closer. Boy, I bet. Yeah, I will have to try that. I don't know that I can. If I, if I do a thirty-minute sprint, I might. I might be. In oh trouble, no, no, no. So might... <laughs> thirty seconds. Thirty seconds, sir. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got it. I, I missed that. Sorry. Yeah. No, I train on that assault bike like I love my women. Uh, you know, quick, yeah. and, quick and dirty. That's how. Yes. That's how I yes, do sir. that, brother. Hey, uh, we, we got more in common than I thought. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. But um, but uh, no, that's a you know, and and honestly, man, I think, but. You know, I think keeping it simple in your home space is, is pretty cool too. Does John come out there and help you um, train you at all, or he just throwing it together? I mean, what kind of help you getting on a on a training block? Right now, really, uh, there's a guy, Jason Brunson. I don't know if you ever ran into him, mm, but no. um, 
uh, he, he's got a place called Athletes Arena, and he he trains my oh, son cool. and and a lot of the football players uh, at my son's school. And and he when you know probably the last three or four years, I've been doing one or two sheep hunts a year, and and he helped me with that. But yeah. you know, as you know, uh, the the whitetail bow hunting is a, is a lot different animal than the than the sheep mountain hunting for sure. But, yeah, and then all the all the different hunting spaces can be interesting. But uh, next to Athletes Arena, that's where um this Brandon uh, the Vertex that's right. PTs right yep. next to there. Yeah, we still keep in touch with Brandon and no, that's a you know that's the other thing. I mean, Columbia. You know, I've said some interesting. You know, there's there's an unbelievable training ground right there. I mean, Donnie Thompson's up the street, who's an underground maniac. I mean, you got Athletes Arena, um, some good physical therapists, and the home of Sornex. I mean, there's some good things going on training wise if you if you keep your eyes open and see what's going on there. It's, there's 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 some strong things happening. It's truly, Bert with uh, Sornex. I mean, they have grown that company. It's 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 huge now. They're, they've got a huge thing going on. Well, very cool. But, uh, but we want to get you, we want to take advantage of your, I'll tell you this, anyone listening needs to take Joe's lead and, uh, you know, you could do a rogue rack, you could do some things in your home office or your home, but man, um, start simple and get something you can do at home where it's convenient and training. So, uh, I'm glad to hear you doing that, Joe, uh, cause there's a, there's a level of this hunting game where, you know, I, some folks, so I've talked to a lot of guys on this space, in this space, and they're like, you know, I don't know if you need to be fit as much as you need to want to do it. And I'm Ooh. like, and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, man. Uh, to me, like, I when it comes to like physical fitness and training, I I'd, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Um, no, no, no question. I mean, truly, no question. I mean, yeah, you you see. A lot of guys, or not a lot, you, you see guys that are out of shape that, that kill elk. You see out of shape guys that, that shoot nice deer. But man, when when you're doing it day in, day out, and and you just enjoy it so much better when you're in good shape, and it gives you something to get in shape for. So I mean, it's it's a no brainer for me. We'll fire it up. But um, for for folks who don't know you, um, you know, I've had a couple years experience with you, and uh, it's really cool. It's really cool catching up with you. It's like we. It's like uh. It's like there hasn't been a four-year gap in between the conversation, which is pretty rad. Um, but <laughs> yeah, for sure. But uh, what you know, when when did you when did your fascination with with hunting start? I mean, I mean, you posted a picture recently where uh, you had your first buck down. Um, uh, where did it start for you? And and, and it obviously is continuing into a whole mess of things that you're into. Yeah, so so I came from a from a real hunting family. My dad was a fanatic, whitetail fanatic, still is. Um, he still hunts whitetail to this day. And and so literally, when I was little, 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 uh, you know, probably three, four years old, I can remember waking up, not knowing where I was, and coming out of a sleeping bag and looking up, and my dad was in a tree stand above my head. Um, he would take he would take me in the mornings wrap me up in a sleeping bag, put me at the bottom of the tree and, and he would climb up in the tree and hunt. And then he would drop pieces of candy down to me. And then eventually, <laughs> yeah, eventually, you know, I got to where I could go up the tree with him and I, I would wrap on his neck like a squirrel and he would climb up in the tree. I would sit with him and it just immediately loved it. And, um, you know, when I got, it's, you know, things are a little different, I guess, in the South, but when I got to be 12 years old, um, he literally gave me a 243 rifle and said, have at it. He said, go learn it. And, um, he had given me the basis of, of how to, you know, how to do it, you know, obviously gun safety and that sort of thing. And had taught me a lot about the woods. And, um, 
he said, the way you're going to learn this is go out and do it on your own. And, and, you know, from that point on, really from about 12 on, um, I just been figuring stuff out and making mistakes and it, it's, it's gotten more and more and more of a passion. And, and it's really the, the entire process is, is, is what I like about it. No, it's, and it's a, I'll be honest, you know, I come into it a lot different where, um, you know, after my time in Columbia, we were up in West Point, New York, and an old college football buddy of mine invited me on a, a grouse hunt. And I looked at my, I looked at the calendar. I'm like, hey, man, you know, it's kind of winter and it's going to snow up there. You go, ah, no big deal. But, you know, we didn't bump into many grouse because we got hammered by a snowstorm. But, you know, camping in the woods, getting in all that going, planning it, you know, going over maps and just the whole hiking camaraderie situation. I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's anything out there that I've come across so far outside of maybe football camp that encapsulates, I don't know, almost everything like a man needs to feel like a man, to be honest with you. Yeah. Not to, not to get too crazy about it, but there's just, it's just something, there's something primal about it or something that gets at all the nerves and cords. That, that's what I was going to say. You, you, you beat me to it with the word primal, but it, it's inherent. It's inherent in man to hunt. There, there's, there's no arguing that. I, I mean, I know there are guys that will argue that, but, but uh, we're made to hunt. We're made to eat meat, and um, that's just part of how we were engineered. Um, I don't think there's any any doubt about that. No, I love it. I'm glad I got tuned into it. But um, you know, I'm coming into it a little later, picking it up thirty, and you know, um, not holding many rifles in my hand at all. But I've kind of gravitated right into bow hunting, um, just because, you know, I guess my buddy he said, "Hey, try bow hunting." And, you know, there, there's a, there's a technique involved too, which is fun. And, you know, but I didn't grow up with, I didn't grow up with firearms, but I'm kind of going in that route now. Um, just yep. because it gives you another opportunity to get outside and, um, you can, you can go after some different species and some things like that. But I wanted to ask you, you know, you've had a lot of really cool hunting experiences. You, you mentioned sheep hunting. I know, I know you've gone overseas and what was, I think when, when I was there, you had just finished up like an, an Ibex hunt where you, you had gone way overseas. Um, yeah, we, we've hunted them in uh, Mongolia. We've hunted them in uh, the country, country of Turkey. And then we've also hunted them in Kyrgyzstan. So yeah, it's, it's been well, and, and good. It, it leads into the question for me though, was like, you know, with you, you have this cool project with Joe Miles hunting that seems to be focusing on, um, at the early onset, um, South Carolina whitetail. So, so, uh, we'll start, we'll, do you want to start with the species or South Carolina first and why that focus? It, it, it uh, you know, it, whatever you think, I mean, we, we can touch on both. I mean, as far as, is, is South Carolina, we are we're, we're touching on whitetail, I guess, you know, across the country. I've, I've hunted them from Montana to Alberta to South Texas to here in South Carolina. So really, I've hunted them in almost all their ranges, and, and, and they're very, very similar. Um, you know, a whitetail, I guess we can start with the species itself, cool. is, it, yeah, it, it, in my opinion, is one of the, a mature whitetail is one of the most difficult big game animals in North America with, with a bow and arrow. Uh, they, they, are, they are very difficult. They're very smart. When they get to four and a half years of age, um, you know, they, they, they become a different animal. And then from that point on, man, it is, they're, they're tough to get. And it, to me, it's fascinating how, how challenging they are, how smart they are and how many times they actually beat you. Uh, I mean, mm. it's, it's just, it's a, it seems like it's a, a constant chess match when, when, when you start going after that older age class deer. And it is something that I've never, never lost interest in. 
it, it, it's something that I think about all the time. Yeah, the, the, the whitetail situation seems to me almost like I look at, I almost look at whitetail hunting as like, it's like a version of, do you ever play, um, do you ever play a board game called Settlers of Catan or something like Risk? Do you ever play those games? I, I have, sure. Yeah, so it's like, you, it's like in whitetail hunting, there's more than just going and sitting in the, you know, from an outside looking in, someone, oh, you sit in a tree and you wait for them to walk by and that's that, but would you dive into this a little bit and what you're starting to do with some of your, um, your videos is you're showing how, you know, between setting up food plots and, and pinch and creating pinch points and setting up your stand. And I mean, there's a, I could, I mean, look, you know, we talked about uh, setting up a garage training space. I almost like every quarter rearrange my garage just cause I like to set it up. And it seems right. like whitetail is that on steroids. It, it, it can be, you know, it, it can be as simple as some buddies going out and, and like you said, climbing in a stand and just enjoying nature. And that's awesome. All for it. Um, and, and then the, and then from there, it goes all the way to where you are building your own archery arrows. You're hanging your own stands. You're putting out trail cameras. You're putting in the food plots. You're finding one particular deer that you want to hunt down. Um, and, and that's, that's what I really enjoy is that entire process of, of finding that deer, getting as much intelligence as you can on what he's doing and then coming in, you know, and, and, and taking him out. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by that whole process. The, the shooting part of it is definitely, you know, that, that, that's, that, that, that is a, a part of it, but that's not the only part of it. Um, the whole process and, and trying to get better and understanding you can always get better and, and learn more and, and from, from the archery side of it to the tactics to everything. You constantly, every year, you, you can get better. Now, you know, whitetail, whitetail out west and, and elk out west. And, you know, there's obviously there's a slant. The further east you go, it's more whitetail than west for obvious reasons. There's just not, the, you know, you don't have the elk out there. And, um, but they're starting, right? I mean, there, there's some interesting yep. work with the uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and they're not going to be moving elk around anymore. But you know, with with the elk they have moved in, you can see some really cool trends starting to develop in like Tennessee and Pennsylvania, and um, heck, I think even West Virginia is pretty close to doing some interesting stuff there. But there, there's there's some lotteries tags you can get and whatnot. But you know, for obvious reasons, whitetail seems to be the, the further east you go, it's just people get more into it, and especially, you know, in the Midwest too. But um speak to, you know, as someone who's chased them for so long, um, this the superpower of the whitetail, which makes it that four that four and a half year old class you talked about. Um, you know, for you know, is it is it their sense of smell? Is it they're they're smarter than we all think they are from you have chasing them so long? What do you think their superpower is? Yeah, I think they just they understand their their habitat and their their domain. Um they they learn us and pattern us way more than than we do them. Um until you dive, you know, un, until you take the dive and start learning and figuring them out. But I mean I, I equate it kind of to this. If if you were if you were to wake up in your walk down into your living room and your furniture had been kicked around and things had been moved and different, you would recognize that immediately. Hmm. Now you, you, you take that and you add an incredible sense of sight and incredible sense of, uh, of smell. And, and th that's what, that's what you're doing. You're going into their environment, which is like their living room and you're walking through it, you're manipulating it, you're doing different things. And, and they, they know that. 
they, they absolutely figure it out. And you have to change your, your entire mindset when you're going after those deer. You, you literally have to trick them into thinking you're not there. Well, yeah, I'm glad you say that because it's, it's interesting for me. I'm kind of like at this position where I've interacted with animals enough to know that there's something there, but I haven't interacted with them enough to like give into their sense of intelligence. I'm like, no, I'm smarter than them. But what I am, what I am, what, <laughs> what I am willing to say is what I'm finding about whether it's turkey, whether it's elk, whether it, you know, out here chasing blacktail a lot more than whitetail. So I haven't had a lot of whitetail experience. What I will give the animals credit for more than humans is especially our current breed of human, because, you know, we're so, we're at such a pace. We're so distracted by so many things. I do believe, and you hit on something, their, their pattern recognition in their home range is something that I just don't think we can compete with. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, they, you know, guys do the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, I'm in a hunt club and, you know, the guys drive down, they unlock the gate, they drive to the home site, they get on their four-wheeler, this loud as can be, they drive out to their tower stand, they climb up in it. That deer, that, that big deer hears every, he knows he's not wiggling when that happens. Sure. And, and, and so what you do, you, so, so what you do to, to trip that is that you park outside the gate, you drive an electric bike or you walk in and he never knows that you were there. You know, he's used to the four wheelers. And when he doesn't hear all that, he thinks he's safe. So you, you, you a lot of times you do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. That's what you have to, I mean, I mean, isn't that what, where innovation lies, right? Maybe it's, it's, it's two things. One, one, you go the other direction or the other places you maybe bring in something from an outside source to, to kind of support, you know, what's going on in there. Maybe like you said, it, that might be the e-bike or that might be going to another spot or maybe being where all that noise is pushing them in the morning at the end of the day, rather than being focused on trying to get them first thing in the morning. Sure. Sure. And, and then a lot, you know, a lot of guys will hunt, you know, the first two hours of, of daylight, the last two hours of daylight. So maybe you need to hunt in the middle of the day. There um, there, there's lots and lots of different ways to skin the cat. Very cool. So, you know, the, the, the whitetail again, it's, it's a super interesting, it's a super interesting animal to me. And, um, I'll say this, uh, going back to your video and, uh, looking at that grand wall of, of trophies you have, sir, uh, how many, how many total have you think you've taken? Ooh, that is, uh, that is a, 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 a tough question. Um, on that wall, <laughs> On that on that wall, I think there there are thirty five on that wall, and, and okay. that is those are those are kind of my my bigger trophies, um, you know, over my whole lifetime of of, of hunting deer. Um, if if I had to guess, Joe, I would say that I've I've taken north of a hundred whitetail. That's awesome, and um, so I asked that question with this in mind. Uh, you're speaking to a guy who hasn't taken one, but uh, you know, uh, being active military, we'll be moving back east, and I know I'll be getting in. I'll be probably getting into this situation. Um, uh, and and I'm I'm super interested in maybe you know having a small plot one day of of land and working it and doing and whatnot, but. You know, so I don't get overwhelmed with the whole entire situation. Um, I'm going to be coming over there back east eventually with, you know, I'll have a little bit of bow experience and I'll probably have this thirst to get after whitetail. Um, with your experience and a guy with zero experience, but you, there's a little bit of want to and some know-how behind it. Um, where's that guy need to start his whitetail mission? To where should, should the focus be on drawing him in or finding a spot or, you know, just, just kind of give me a point in the right direction. Yeah, I, th I think the the first thing 
you know, if, if you're starting out is obviously get very, very familiar and deadly with your weapon, right? Whatever yeah. weapon that is that you're going to be using your bow, your arrow, whatever it is, get very, very proficient with that. Um, so let's, let's take that off the list and say you're good to go there. Um, when, if, you know, there's a couple things, if you're going to buy a farm, that's one thing. Let's just say you have 50 acres, right? 50 acres of land. Um, the, the first thing you want to do is get as much intelligence on what the animals are doing there. And, and meaning, you know, there's, there's three things in a, in a whitetail's uh, world. There's security, there's food, and there's sex. And that's it. Those mm. are the only three. Those are the only three. And so the most important thing to figure out is the security or the bedding. If you can find out where, where the deer are bedding, you're 90% of the way there. And so the question is, how do you find out where they're bedding? Um, you know, the, the, the way to do that is you look at trails, um, you look at tracks, and they're gonna 99, or especially in South Carolina, gonna be in the thickest, nastiest place that you can find on your property. That, that's where they're gonna be bedding. And the place that they have the least amount of, of human interruption, you know, where, where guys aren't walking in and out and that sort of stuff. So once you find out the bedding, the, the rest is pretty easy because with trail cameras nowadays and the technology you have there, you can throw out a couple of trail cameras and kind of figure out how they're traveling through your area. And, you know, it just kind of, it kind of goes from there, but that would be the first thing that I would do is, is try and figure out the bedding area and, and then, you know, work backwards from there. Yeah, and you bring up, you bring up the bedding area and being thick, nasty and, and um, you know, least disturbed by humans and you know you also talked a little bit before about these guys being pretty territorial and and you know i can't help but make this comparison to you know the elk species that i've gotten really after is you know out here in western washington is roosevelt elk and they seem to me to have some some similar traits where they're you know you know, I almost feel like Roosevelt elk might be like the old curmudgeon type. You know, they're, they're, they want to sit on their porch. They want, they don't want to be bothered. You know, they're going to, their home base is going to be a little bit smaller. Um, they're going to be a little bit harder to get to, and they're probably going to be where you don't want to be. Um, so, so with, with the white tails that those bedding areas and, and some of those things and, and establishing that territory, how big of a, like say you, you, you talk about a 50 acre plot perhaps, but that deer doesn't care about my 50 acre plot, but um, what do they care about in terms of like, and we can keep this specific to maybe even South Carolina, but in your experience, that kind of home range that they have, you know, with, with Roosevelt, it might be a Canyon. They, they kind of like to stay put in that little spot and have their own thing. But in your opinion, how, how big might a whitetail's range be? I, I think it really depends on, again, kind of those, those three things, mm. how far they have to go for food, how far they have to go for, for um, seclusion or bedding and how far they have to go to find does to breed. I think sure. the, the more, more populated um, the area is, the, the smaller it is. QDMA has done some studies on those and I can't remember, they've tracked deer. And, and I wanna say the, the average South Carolina whitetail deer stays within a square mile, um, you know, if he has those things. Um, now, when you get into other parts of the country or other parts of even South Carolina, if any of that stuff is lacking, that range can get larger and larger and larger. Um, and then, you know, obviously you have competition. When, when the rut comes on, it can get, you know, they, they can travel miles and miles looking for does. So to, to, to pin it down to an exact range, um, that, that would be difficult. But if you wanted to put a generality on it, I, I would say if you, if you look at a square mile, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good, pretty good um, 
you know, whitetail, whitetail range for a deer that has, you know, in South Carolina that has what it needs. Um, you know, some of that can, can shrink down. I, I, you know, I use 50 acres because that's just a, uh, you know, yeah. You, I mean, if you're going to get a 650 acre, which is a square mile piece of property, um, you know, you're going to pay a lot for that lease and, and, or, or farm and it's going to get pretty expensive. But so, so that's, you know, that, that would be my observation. Oh yeah. I mean like perfect scenario, you know, whether it's 50 acres or five acres, right. You know, if you have your own little, your own little spot, the best you can do habitat wise, you, you know, you might get lucky and, and get them to populate in there. And then the thing about animals, it's different about humans where, you know, we sit here in like the lap of luxury in this country. Um, and, and we go out of our way to find ways to exercise and find creative ways to eat food. But, you know, when you look at, that, at an animal with survival, as their their number one thing to do they just weren't trying to get through the day they're not looking to move a lot right i mean in, in the yeah general they, sense, they don't they want yeah, to stay put they don't up. yeah they, they don't want to they, they they would much rather have their bedding their food and, and their ladies you know right there with them um <laughs> they, now the, the 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 bigger older deer they do like their seclusion like you're talking about the roosevelt's you know they they do like to um to, to, to be on the outskirts or be away from, be away from the herd, if you will. I, I just don't think they like to be bothered when they get old and ornery. They, they want to be kind of out and alone. And, you know, again, I'll go back to it. I think the most important thing is the thick, nasty bedding. The, the three biggest, well, not the, the two biggest deer. Um, I killed three really nice ones on this one piece of property. It happened to be in Illinois, but it was only 29 acres and it was all bedding habitat. I had mm. the bedding, I had the bedding in that area. Now there were hundreds of acres of agriculture and, and timber, but the thick bedding was on that 29 acre track and it was, it was a honey hole. So focus on, I love that idea too, because you can get the same thing out here. I mean, the Western hunting experience that, that I've kind of jumped into, with, it's like you have these giant canyons, you have all these mountains, you have this big land. There seems to be great habitat everywhere. There's a lot of public access. There, guys are in it, but, you know, to kind of zero in on that bedding area, I can imagine that that same sort of strategy, rather than focus on where you think they're going to be feeding or, you know, rather than focus on the whole unit to kind of, hey man, what are the what are the prime, maybe, maybe to take it another step further to kind of just, you know, selfishly, I'm trying to improve my own hunting experience here. But uh, if, uh, you know, to take what you're saying into even this Roosevelt experience, um, maybe this year, instead of scouting out clear cuts where they're going to be feeding, maybe the idea needs to be scouting out prime bedding locations that are maybe further away from roads and stuff like that. Man, that, that's it. Because that's where he feels safe. Yeah. And if you can find that, if you can find his bedroom, you can, everything else becomes a lot, lot easier because you know, he's always going to be coming back there and he's always going to be leaving there to go wherever he's going. Um, you know, he can feed in a 15 different places. Um, he can transition through there, you know, in 15 different places. But if, if he's got that sanctuary and you can find it, that, that is 90% of the game until you kick him out of there. When you kick him out of there, boy, then, then, then it really becomes a game. Well, you know, the, the hardest part about that and what I'm trying to find, um, you know, hunting wise, the heart, you know, I like the, I like the kind of spot and stalk and I kind of gravitate towards elk hunting, especially during the rut, because it's kind of like a run and gun style hunt, you know, go to this Canyon call, move to the next one call. And that's kind of how we've been attacking it. But, you know, this whole idea of a scout in a bed and sitting on it requires me to exercise a muscle that 
I don't have. And that's, that's that patience muscle. And every year right. I, I'm trying my best to sit a little bit longer. And um, this past year I had some really cool opportunities because I did that. But, um, you know, it, it, I imagine it's the same thing. Well, it is the same thing. From what I followed about whitetail hunting, it's, you know, you're in that tree stand all day. Um, so, so a guy who doesn't have patience, um, <laughs> uh, no, no, have, I get it. You have tricks in the stand for, for sorting that out. And I mean, I mean, come on, that, that's, a, that's a muscle in itself that a lot of folks don't think on. No, I, I you know, you're very true, but there are a lot of guys that, that don't have patience. So there, yeah. there's some really big buck killers that don't have patience and, and they have a run and gun style of whitetail hunting. They, they will get there at daylight. They will hmm. walk in with their stand, their bow, their climbing sticks, everything on their back. They will climb a tree and they will hunt for an hour, hour and 45 minutes. You know, if they don't see anything or there's nothing hot going on, they'll climb down. They'll go find hot sign and kind of slip through the woods till they find fresh sign. They'll climb up again. Um, they'll hunt for an hour or two and then they'll, they'll do that throughout the day or, or they'll only hunt in the mornings and the evenings or, or whenever they want. But they, I will say this. You, you should spend three times as much time scouting as you, as you do actually hunting. Um, you know, th that is, that's something I've learned over the years is mm. that finding that, that real fresh hunt now sign is, is super important. And, and, and one of the, the, the tactics I use is that when I do, if, if you know, I have a stand site set up, a hunt there, it's dead. I'll break it down. I'll go and find the fresh sign. I'll hang, hunt it that afternoon, and I'll leave all my stuff hanging in the tree, and I'll be right back there the next morning. Um, and, and so you, you can actually, even with a, a rambunctious spirit or, or not the, <laughs> the, the, the ability not to sit still, you, you, can still, you can still be very effective as a whitetail hunter. Yeah, but again, too, I mean, that's what draws me to hunting a little bit because it uh, another thing that draws me to it, like even from a training perspective, I thought like a good strength coach or a good personal trainer, or even a, a good physical therapist, you know, they're, they're going to find ways to complement what you're doing and maybe even find the best contrast where you can kind of attack the low hanging fruit in an interesting way. And I actually think hunting, you know, part of the reason I do enter the woods is because it is the opposite of, you know, what real life is like. It's not, it's not fast. I'm not, you know, I'm off the phone, I'm a technology versus nature, that sort of thing. But you know, I like, I like forcing myself to flex muscles. I don't use very often, you know what I mean? So th there is, I, I, I don't, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't blame you one bit. Um, and and th that's it. I mean, you get in there 30 minutes before daylight, watch that sun come up. You, you left your cell phone and you turned off in your pocket. Um, it recenters a man. There's no question yeah. about it. I'll tell you what else recenters a man. I can remember I went on a, don't tell my wife this, uh, but I went on, she doesn't like when I go hunt by myself, but um, yeah, went on a late season elk hunt with a buddy. And then the next weekend I was like, I got to go back out, but he couldn't go. I kind of told her he was coming, but I went by myself. And, <laughs> <Attaboy>. uh, <laughs> you just got to do it. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, yep. but, um, but nothing else. Another thing I'll center is, is um, walking, walking for an hour alone in the woods in the dark. I mean that that's something else if you have an experience um that that's an interesting that's an interesting situation uh twigs and branches seem to break a little bit differently when you're alone uh, <laughs> yeah, there's always something right behind you there's <laughs> always something back there especially yeah. out here when you're worried about cougars and, and big cats but um no uh, doubt I want to you know there, there's a there's a piece of the country that from time to time on this podcast and others that you know 
Columbia, I'll say, is an interesting place. Um, but and, and another place to kind of focus this conversation on is, you know, for a guy who, you know, if, I, if I'm going to come east and hunt whitetail, I'm also going to be making, you know, you hear a lot of guys, I want to go west and have the big adventure. Um, but there's also differences for the western hunter coming east. I mean, I alluded to it, you know, with the public land experience, you have these big mountains and you know, those sorts of things, but, but coming East into a pocket like South Carolina has to have its own interest. So I thought it might be cool, you know, cause some of our listener base is, you know, focused out here in, in Western Washington. If any of them did get interested in wanting to come East and, um, uh, hunt and whitetail, are there like access issues or, uh, certain things that they should be made aware of if they're coming, if they're going to be heading East for their first trip? Absolutely not. Um, you can get a non-resident hunting license over the counter. It's, it's very easy uh, to do that. Inexpensive. I want to say they're around $50. Um, so it's, it's not very expensive for a non-resident to hunt in the state. Um, you, you get your deer tags um, when, you, when you get your license. And then we do have quite a few public areas. And, and I think the, the, the big draw here and something that's different and for me, just something that I love is, is the... Uh, is really these swamps that we have around here, these big river swamps that they're, you know, they're loaded with wild boar and hogs and, and, and then mm. the white-tailed deer, deer. And it's, it's just a really cool part of the country. Oh, very cool. And do you, I mean, I'm sure you get into hogs too. I mean, like, is there a, you know, cause one of the cool things is you, you go out there and sometimes you're hunting for elk, but sometimes it's cool to just be out there hunting and hoping you bump into something. So is there like a, is there a combo situation where you can go out there with a hog and a deer? I mean, absolutely. Kind of, oh, very cool. Yep, I was actually, I went and checked a, a mineral site that I was setting up um, two or three days ago, and there, there must have been a, a pack of 25 hogs that had been right there. I mean, they, they, had, they had just left. They, they, they were tearing up my spot. So, yeah, they are, they are rampant through this Congaree swamp, no doubt about it. Now, are they looked at as an invasive species where it's open season on them, or is there a season? It is. No, it's, it's open. Um, and they're a lot of fun to hunt. They can be smart too. I mean, you, really for them, wind is the big thing. You've got to learn how to play the wind, but, uh, they're, they're a lot of fun to hunt. You can hunt them year round. Um, and you know, for the guys that like to spot and stalk, there, there's nothing better than getting in a swamp and, and spotting and stalking and slipping through the swamp with your bow and getting up on a, on a boar too. And, and that, that's a, that's a lot of fun and you can do it year round. Well, there it is. Uh, when, next time I pop east, whenever COVID allows us to travel again, um, I'm sure that, that for most of us, I think that's there. But there's some interesting uh, um, military. Uh, they're not letting DOD folks out of their spot yet. And here in Pierce County, it's a little interesting more. But uh, we're coming out of it. But I might have to look you up for that. You know, um, I'll we be got honest. plenty of them. Come on, yeah, come dude, on come whenever on. you want to. Do you see an end to it? I don't, I know you're not a biologist and I don't need you to speak out of turn, but you hear about, you know, the hog situation, you, you know, out, out West right now, like the big talk, you know, salmon aren't doing great. You got these resident orcas that are going here, but it seems like one species that running rampant throughout the country is these, these hogs everywhere seem to just be unstoppable. Yeah, it is. And, and there've been uh, that Savannah river plant did a, a study where they fenced off like, uh, I don't remember what it was, but let's say it was 2,000 acres to the east, 2,000 acres to the west. They, they put a fence down the middle and they went and trapped and killed and dogged the, the, all the hogs on one side and the hogs on the other. They, they did a survey beforehand to know how many were in there. And then they gave it one year after they did all that. And the numbers were exactly the same. 
Mm. It's all relative to the food and the habitat. There, uh, it's my understanding that a female sow um, can have her first litter at six months old, and she can have two litters a year, and she can have up to 12 piglets per litter. So if you run that matrix, it, it, it doesn't take long until <laughs> they yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly right. But but the you know the good Lord has a way of uh, of keeping it in check. Um, you know the habitat completely dictates that. You know if they if they eat too much or or whatever it may be, and then we have really bad floods here, and when we have a, we just had one. You know, there's there's no question it it wipes out part of the hog population when that happens. So it it nature stays in check. Um, but they they are they are a problem, uh, especially for guys that try and raise crops or. You know, you know, stuff like that. They they tear up the crop fields. Well, to bring to bring the hog conversation into the whitetail conversation, um, do they? You mentioned they blew out one spot, but is is can they? Are they so? Have they impacted the environment so much where they've um, hurt the whitetail hunting, or is it just like a, you know, here and there they'll blow up a spot? They they don't get along. No no doubt about that. Deer and hogs do not get along, but they do coexist. Um, I, I guess that's. They don't get along, but they coexist. So if, if let's say, for example, you had a feeder or a food plot that the deer and the hogs both like the same food that was there, the hogs will dominate that and the deer will just get the leftovers. Gotcha. Um, you know, a, a white oak and white oak, white oak tree, when it's dropping its acorns, you know, the hogs will come in and, and, and eat it all and, and force the deer to, again, take, take the scraps. So it is challenging, um, but they, they do, they do tend to, 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 to survive in the same environments. Very cool. So I imagine you get the, even a guy who doesn't have his own property, if you make the right relationship with the right farmer, maybe you could be hunting hog all year. No doubt. No, I promise you that. They, they, <laughs> okay. I, they, especially when, uh, when the corn is being planted now and when it starts to tassel out and when it gets sweet, that's when the hogs destroy it. And in the property that, that I hunt um, on the hill, there's a, a big corn farmer there. And I mean, he's, he has guys that full-time trap guys that come in and run them with dogs and anybody that wants to hunt them can hunt them. He wants them out of there because they, they'll eat as much as 20 to 30% of his crop. Yeah. And you know, too, I wonder on that, like, you know, again, the COVID thing's interesting, right? And one of the things that I'm following on the horizon that, that might be approaching is a, the idea of a, a meat crisis in, in, uh, from, from a commercial standpoint. And, you know, I think the past history regarding market hunting and its effects on species, um, I think the jury's out on that. But you'd like to think that, you know, I, I know in Texas, I think that there's some cool programs where you can trap them and bring them to market. And it seems like with a species like these hogs, there there should be an opportunity if something like this meat crisis unfolds. And, you know, honestly, it also would speak to if there's any positive, I think that could come out of this COVID situation. It's this idea of maybe shrinking supply lines and getting back to more of a local situation. And I mean, uh, your opinion on that, do you think that there's so much of a hog presence that there's an opportunity to maybe get more of that wild game into the diets of, you know, local South Carolinians? All all for it. I I think it's my, you know, our family eats a bunch. We, you know, venison is my wife's basically her favorite meal. Um, so we, we eat a bunch and it's definitely healthy. Um, and, and I prefer it way more, uh, from a nutritional standpoint than, you know, the, the cow that's been fattened up in a feedlot. So yeah, I am a hundred percent for it. Now you, you may want to, 
lift some regulations on the hog population, but if you turn the deer population commercial, that, 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 you know, they would, I don't know, they'd be wiped out, but it would be, it would hurt their, that population. Oh yeah. That's, and again, I think the jury's out on that. I mean, if you look at, you know, post-Civil War America where all these, you know, gun-toting soldiers are looking to make money. I mean, market hunting, market hunting put, put elk and deer and, and buffalo and into a, in a really tough spot. I mean, I don't think it would be a situation with certain species, but it seems like, man, it seems like with the hogs, that would have to be the way to go to fix that, you know, some kind of intervention, but, but two, probably the best intervention. And I, I, if, if anyone listen and go back to our last chat with, um, with Brett Whitaking of uh, Tailout Anglers, he's a, he's a fisherman out here. And we got onto a conversation about how, you know, I think I can recognize the, the human species uh, responsibility as a steward, just because from an intellectual standpoint that should be there, but dang it, if mother nature doesn't just seem to have all the better fixes anyway, it seems like if you just let it sort itself out that, that, you know, with a little bit of management rather than like intervening to fix it, um, you know, yep. nature seems to have a way. It sure does. No question about it. So, uh, last thing last kind of situation uh, you're doing some really cool stuff with gear and um it was cool what you did uh in the one video that kind of caught my eye was yeah uh, you went out and bought a bunch of bows and, and you kind of rather than do the whole i'll get a free bow and test it i really like your approach on no with this situation with joe miles hunting and and this, what you're teaching folks in south carolina about whitetail um it no free gear no sponsors you're doing it on your own you're working it out um, you are doing some bow testing right now. How's that? How's that going out? How's that coming I mean, out? It's, it's it's going well. Um, it's it's something that I've I've never done. I've always wanted to do. Um, when I got into kind of the the commercial side, the the TV side of of the hunting world, um, you know, it, it it was it was very exciting, but it but it changed. Um, you know, the the gear I used, you know, it was sponsorship gear. It was gear that was given to us, and that's what we needed to get promoted. And after five or six years of doing that, I just, you know, I understand the business model. I just don't agree with it. And this is a rabbit hole that, that we could probably talk for two hours on, but I'll, yeah. I'll try and summarize my, my point here is that, you know, if, if you take a, a, a Tom Brady, for example, a, a professional quarterback, right. And, and he tells you to drink Mountain Dew, you're going to go out and, and if you like Tom Brady, you're going to drink Mountain Dew. That's not going to affect the way that you play football because nobody, you know, nobody, nobody that's drinking the Mountain Dew is going to on Sunday be playing NFL football, you know, other than those guys. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the hunting, in the hunting world, it's interactive. If a guy says shoot a Hoyt bow and you like that guy and you, you value what he says, and you go buy a Hoyt bow, but it's not really the best, right? The guy's telling you it's the best, but it's not because he's being sponsored by it. Um, excuse uh, what, what you're doing. You know, I, I guarantee you that whatever uh, shoulder pads or helmet or cleats that Tom Brady's using, those are the best that are possibly made. They're, they're, because he wants to be the best at football that he can, he can be. And, and so that, that's where I think the, the hunting industry is flawed, is that the, our sport of hunting is interactive. You know, if, if I tell Joe, if I tell you, hey, you need to go shoot a Rage Broadhead because Rage has given me a bunch of free ones. But in mm -hmm. the back of my mind, I know that those aren't the best. Um, so I, I just, you know, I just got tired of that. And I said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to do something different and I'm going to test everything that I use and see what is the best. 
use the best and then just show people and let them make up their own mind, but guaranteed transparency. And I guaranteed that I, that I paid for it. I didn't get it for free and it's going to be an honest review of, of the product. And I think that'll be bring value to the hunting world. No, very cool. So what bow are, what bow? So you talked about lobbing, uh, what was it? 200 darts down the range to kind of dial in <laughs> your setup. So, uh, so, uh, which bow got the, in your, which one, which one yes. won that initial test? Right. So what I did is, is two of the, the, the really popular, if you want to say Ford and Chevy are, are the Hoyt and the Matthews. And, um, I'd been shooting a Hoyt for four years, um, through the TV shows that I was part of. And Hoyt makes a great bow. They, they make a wonderful bow. And a lot of guys have shot some giant creatures with, with Hoyts. Um, same with Matthews. And, and so I got the, their new, newest line, um, the VXR Matthews and the Hoyt RX4, which is a carbon bow. And, and I put them through a, through a lot of testing, the draw weight, the draw length, the actual physical weight of the bow, how fast they shot, how quiet they were, um, how close to inspect they were. And, you know, at the end of the day, the Matthews, you know, edged it out a little bit on the speed and, and more significantly, it was a quieter bow. And for me, that's really important because a lot sure. of time the, an, the animal will react to the sound. And if you can have a, a, something that's a little bit quieter. So, the, the, you know, that's the one I went with was the VXR and the Matthews. And I'm super excited about it. And then, you know, the other day I did take it home and I, I got about 150 through it, so I've got 50 more to go. I just like to put about 200 arrows through through a new bow, so everything settles and gets broken in well, um, and then then I'll start the final tune. And you know, that's again, that's all part of the process that that I love so much about the sport is is there's so much that goes into it, and and you you just try and get better and do is, is the most you can at, at every aspect of it, and and hopefully the rewards will pay off. You know, come fall. Yeah, I, I shoot an RX one still. I mean, it's a bow I bought um, a way back, and it's done really well for me. But what's interesting about it that I've come to find now is um, two things. I'll speak to it from a durability standpoint. I've been pretty happy because as a as a new hunter, um, I've beaten it up. I've fallen down. You know, uh, in a decent components, they're lasting. They even even survived a, a dry fire. Uh, I was dialed into a, a shooting one day, and I was so dialed into my shooting process i forgot to knock an arrow um but uh you know we'll forget about that but uh one thing about that <laughs> one yeah one thing about that and it also helps to have a good guy look at your boat and hurry up get a quick fix and work it out but uh um so thank you ryan black but um one other thing about that though that i found is you know i was so bent on um one i'll say this i definitely fell i won't i won't want to say fell victim but um the marketing side of it got me i think it's a cool bow and i bought it as much for aesthetics as anything i mean i've said it on this podcast that the twisted carbon just looks cool but one thing about it that i've actually been going backwards to adjust if i had to do it again i would probably go with an aluminum riser or something a little heavier because since since buying that bow, I've had to do some things to it tuning wise to stabilize it more. That light bow, yeah, it's comfortable to carry around, and, and but I just don't shoot it as well when it's um when it's at its lightest. Have have you had similar experiences? It's just hard to wrangle in that light bow as as great as it can be. Yeah, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I don't like a super heavy bow either, um, yeah. but I I do like a bow with some weight on it. I feel like, especially in the wind, you can hold it um, steadier. I mean, there's a reason that you know guys that that shoot uh, rifles at distance, like a real heavy barrel and a real heavy rifle, it just sits steadier. 
Yeah. Um, you know, now obviously they have a bench or something they're resting on and, and there's a, you know, there's a, you can, you can get a bow that's too heavy, but, uh, one with some weight, no, no doubt, um, for, for me is, is one I can hold steadier and I'm, I'm more accurate with. So, and I'll ask you, you know, you've been at bow hunting for a long time. Um, you know, I'm of the thought that I need to dial in my process and my technique before I'm going to be going and fiddling with the bow and, and micro adjusting this, that, and the other thing. Um, but I'll say this, you know, three years in, I feel like I'm finally starting to get a grip on a consistent technique and I'm hitting solid groups at, you know, 60 yards now, and it's taken a long time to get there. And part of the reason it's taking a long time to get there is, you know, I can't put in, you know, you know, I'm teaching six hours a day, not, not, you know, training to hunt, but you know, you put the practice in where you can and, and you, you build it. And I'm finally getting to a place where I feel like techniques, um, tight enough where maybe from session to session, I could fiddle with an adjustment here or there. Um, that being said, if, if, if someone does make that switch into that side of it, I mean, and they do want to start kind of building out, tuning their bow, learning more about that side of the process. I mean, how, how do you work, how do you work um, outward where you're not doing more harm than good when you start to micro adjust things on your bow? Does that question yeah, make I, sense? Yeah, it does. It, okay, it does. And I think the, I think the, the, the quick answer to that is you got to find a mentor. Gotcha. You, you, you got to find somebody that, that can pass the trade down to you. You're not going to just pick up a bow and look at a YouTube video and figure <laughs> out how to, how to adjust a rest or, or, yeah. you know, that, that sort of thing. So, um, th that would be my thing is, is a lot of the pro shops are, uh, you know, are really good. The ones that have been in business a long time. And, and, um, you know, you, that's what I would do is, is you've got to, you, you really have to learn it. And, and I'm learning every year, this year will be the first year that I've ever, um, bear shaft tuned my arrows, which means you shoot them without the fletchings on them. Um, to find out the truest, air, the, the truest you, you, you can get uh, mm. before you fletch them. Um, and that way you really tune your bow, you tune your arrow with uh, rotating the knots, rotating the inserts, the broadheads, and then you fletch them. Um, so, and, and, you know, it just, you, you can, I've said it, you know, twice already on the podcast, but the rabbit hole in archery goes on forever and ever and ever, and you can constantly be improving, but you got to start somewhere, right? Sure. And so, so I, I think that's, that's it is you, you, you get find a mentor or a guy in your pro shop and, and you become buddies and let him, let him start helping you. And, and before long, you'll have a press in your house and you, you know, you'll be, you'll be doing the whole thing. If, if you get into it, I mean, yeah, that's no right. Doubt. That's right. No, it's a, it's an easy thing to get into. And it's, again, I'll say this about most of the aspects of hunting. It's just, they, they force, they force you to actually get into it. Right. And, and you know, you, again, you alluded to YouTube, um, you can kind of flash in a pan, try this, do that. But unless you're really engrossed into the situation, you, you're just not going to improve. And, um, that again, it forces your focus. Maybe that's the way to put it. Um, without a doubt. And, and, you know, guys get bit by the bug, uh, like in anything else, so, you know, with, with weightlifting or, or whatever it may be, guys get bit, bit by the bug and they get into it. And the one good thing about hunting is it's endless and it's constantly changing. So if you're into it, you're not going to get bored. There's always things that you can be doing to improve your game and improve your equipment. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. 
Well, cool. Well, Joe, man, this is this has been excellent, um, and I think it's cool for folks who maybe are listening for more of a Western experience here to maybe dive a little bit more into whitetail and to hear about what's going on in Columbia, South Carolina. And um, man, I think it's cool what you're doing. I, I'm glad I, I I was on the Instagram on the right day and saw what you were doing, and we could uh, reach back out and touch base. I'll leave a closing thought to you. Is um, you know, before we close this thing out, um. You know, final final thoughts, final words on uh, whether it's the status of whitetail, status of hunting, uh, best place to get barbecue in South Carolina. I mean, uh, <laughs> you- we uh, <laughs> we get started August fifteenth. It'll be about one hundred and twenty degrees and humid down here. So, uh, and the mosquitoes are as big as hummingbirds. So, okay. as much as I'm looking forward to getting into a deer stand in August. There, there is some dread there as well, but uh, it'll be here soon enough. Damn, I'll tell you what, I do not miss. I mean. Um, the way Columbia is situated, it does have some perks. You know, you're close to Atlanta, you're close to Charlotte. You know, there's some, you know, you can get down to Charleston, there's Asheville, there's all kinds of great spots. But man, wherever Columbia is situated personally, um, that humidity is a different animal. I mean, and I've been in some <laughs> hot places, but Columbia is thick, is how I put it. It's tough, buddy. <laughs> it is, it is tough, tough to the concrete jungle and, and it gets hot. Yes, it is. Um, and yeah, uh, maybe one of these days I'll be able to hang out in Washington in uh, August and, and September, and then move back here for October, and November. That, that hey, would be good. And by and by the way, uh, Eastern Washington around Caldwell, there are some great whitetail hunting there, and a lot of public land that you can hunt. I actually hunted out there um, three or four years ago in Caldwell, Washington, which is just just east of you. Um, and there, there is some great public land whitetail hunting there for sure. Yeah, and I have to look on that because I know from an elk standpoint out here in Washington, you have to pick east or west. And I don't know, I don't think from a deer perspective, you're you're stuck going east or west. So we'll have to check that out. Um, what I've been doing deer-wise out here and is chasing blacktail. And I'll tell you one style of hunting that does suit me is I like the, um, I really like still hunting big timber. And even if, even oh, if yeah. I even if I don't see many animals, like there's something cool when you can find that right stretch of big timber, that's not all, you know, thick and nasty and gross, but when it's actually big, dark timber and you're like, I feel like I'm in last Mohican, right. And I'm just sneaking through the woods. I mean, that, 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 that'll get your juices going. Um, so I'm telling you, I'm fired up right now. I'm ready to come out there. We're going to have to trade a hunt out. I'll, I'll get you set up on a whitetail hunt and I'll come out there and getting those uh forest with you that would be incredible i like it well two joes think alike on that one we'll, we'll work out that trade we'll get it going but um no it's a ton of fun joe um this was great uh uh joe miles hunting so uh where can folks find it and um let's say we've gotten someone so interested they want to reach out to you and maybe ask questions about um because i know you got a lot going on outside of the south carolina whitetail stuff i mean you know for sure we global we, approach we, yeah, no, we'd be happy to, to, to answer any questions, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. It's all uh, at Joe Miles Hunting. Um, and, yeah, just message me through through Facebook or Instagram and, and uh, happy to help any way I can. That's, that's what we're all about is trying to provide value for, for guys that are wanting to get into the sport or, or wanting to get better. And, you know, we, I've made about every single possible mistake you can make in the whitetail woods. So I learned a ton over the years and, and, and just want to, you know, help and give back. I love it. Fired up guys. We'll find, find Joe. Um, I found him. I slid right into his DM. Um, he was responsive to me and, uh, uh, I'm sure he'll be responsive to you guys. So uh, check him out, Joe, uh, tons of fun. Um, uh, you know, our tagline on this show is train, hunt, live. And I think we covered a little bit of all that. And, um, when it goes as well as this, um, 
I can't wait for the next one. So uh, look out for that, and uh, we'll do it again. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Joe. Yeah, tons of fun. Joe, dude, that was awesome, man.